Thank you guys for um, leading worship for us this morning with Robert. Um, I'm getting up here to preach on the love of God this morning, and you all have uh, preached to me about the love of God through your music and, and through your prayers, and I was just touched uh, while y'all were singing this morning, so I was preached to before I was uh, getting up here to preach. Uh, good morning, church. And uh, good morning, visitors. We're glad you're here with us and everybody else who is uh, watching via, via the web, uh, including probably Pastor David, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I don't know if he's skipping church this morning, but uh, I guess it's not considered skipping church if he's watching with us on the web. So good morning, uh, Pastor David. And um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to get up here and preach. Pastor David has graciously... Uh, asked some of us younger guys, some of us younger seminary students to fill in for them on, on a couple Sunday mornings recently. And they have been, uh, Tyler, Tyler and Taylor have been up here preaching a couple times. And there's, seem, there's been a running joke among us and among the staff about there seems to have been people kind of get confused about who's who. And um, after, after, I think it was Tyler preached, See, I'm already getting them confused. Uh, Taylor got an email about how well he preached on Sunday. And so he's like, I don't know if I should uh, send the email on to Tyler and so forth. And then, so it became a running joke even when they were preaching. And uh, last time Tyler was up here preaching a couple weeks ago, he kind of made a joke about this and wanted to clarify uh, who he was and so forth. And right after the service, uh, I got complimented on on a good sermon, and I, it wasn't a joke, I don't think. So uh, there seems, still seems to be confusion, and that's fine because, in all seriousness, uh, none of us, uh, even Pastor David, anybody who gets up here, our staff, none of us is up here to make our name remembered. Our name, we we get up here every Sunday to preach. Everyone who gets up here to preach or teach or do whatever we do, we get up here to make the name of Jesus remembered. We want people to remember Him. We want people to come to love Him and love God. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. Pastor David has been taking us through a series called Guard Your Community Presence. And we guard guard our community presence for the sake of making Christ's name known where we are instead of our own name. That's why we're guarding our community presence. And Pastor David has taken us through a couple of episodes in the life of Jesus where these religious leaders were trying to trip him up, get him to say something wrong so they could catch him, uh, maybe try to see if they could get him to say something wrong according to their standards so that they could uh, execute him and, and take care of him. And through these different episodes, Pastor David has reminded us how we are to guard our community presence as well. And I'm going to keep in that vein this morning in Matthew 22. If if you'd like to turn there, if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew 22. If you don't, we still love you. And that's why we're going to have the text on the screen. And so would you read along with me in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, Matthew says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together and all, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command, is, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to, to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And in this passage, what Jesus is pulling us back to is what's most important. He's reminding us to keep our focus on what is most important. These religious leaders, as as Pastor David has already alluded to, but right before this in this section, had questioned Jesus about taxes and tried to get him tripped up there. And he answered them correctly. He won the argument. He said, uh, whose image is on the coin? Uh, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto the Lord what is the Lord's. And he wins that. And then right before this section, what Pastor David is going to be covering next week, he's questioned about the resurrection and divorce, and they're posing these hypotheticals to him. And Jesus answers them and silences them with his answer there. And in both of those questionings, whether it's about politics, if, if Jesus was to get the answer a little bit wrong, it would have got him in trouble with the Romans, but maybe not necessarily with those religious leaders of his day but they still could have got him in trouble with the Romans. And next week when they're asking these questions about the resurrection, even the resurrection was uh, kind of debated among the Pharisees and the Sadducees if, if, if there was such thing in the Scriptures as a bodily resurrection. And so if Jesus, he answers and says he believes in the resurrection, um, so he wasn't causing a problem necessarily with everybody involved. But this question that this expert in the law comes and asks Jesus about had the potential to get him in trouble with everyone involved because they all held the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, even the Herodians, who were the more political-minded Jews of his day. Everyone held Moses and the Torah in the most highest scene. Moses was their hero. And if Jesus slipped up here, he would have gotten himself into hot water with all of them. He would have gotten himself into hot water with all of them. But he answers them and he says that we are to love the Lord God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Could you imagine being posed this question? If, if you had never been exposed to this scripture, um, maybe from birth, but just through your life and your Christian walk, you you know the answer to the question. You have the answer key before the exam, per se. What, what you would have come up with, what you would have come up with, I don't know. Out of the whole Old Testament, all of these words, all these paragraphs, all of these stories, all of these laws, Jesus says it's all summed up in these two commands. That's mind-boggling. And we need to keep our focus on what is most important because we're all pulled in so many directions, even in directions of good things related to our family, related to work, related to our school, related to serving the Lord in a lot of different areas through care effect, through different uh, social and, and mercy ministries. And we can get busy, we can get kind of weighed down, and we can lose our focus And in those times, sometimes we may not represent Christ that well where we are because we've kind of lost our focus on what's most important. And Jesus is pulling us back to that. It's like like when Vince Lombardi, it's kind of this well-known story. I'm not even 100% sure if uh, if it's exactly right, but everybody tells it. That Vince Lombardi, the winning coach of the Green Bay Packers, 
uh, the first day of practice, when he came to the Packers, they were kind of they were been in a slump for a while. And uh, the first day of practice, he called the team together and he, he called them all to a knee and he, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And so in their busyness of practicing and trying to run plays and do all these things, they had forgotten about what was most important and Lombardi was pulling them back to, to the fundamentals of the game, saying, gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. We're just going to start there. I'm the coach, you're the players, and then we can start hashing everything out like that. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And he wants us, first of all, to keep our focus on who God is. To keep our focus on who God is. And you may be wondering where in the world I got that from. He just says, love God and love neighbor. Okay, love God, love neighbor. I can go give an invitation and sit down. That's it. But what he's quoting from is Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which is called the Shema by, by, the, Jew, by the Jewish religion. And in the Shema, in the Mark 12 parallel, this same conversation, Jesus quotes the whole thing. And we have it there on the screen. It says, listen, listen Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That first part, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one is the beginning of what is called the Shema. This is very, very important, was very important to them in their day, the Jewish leaders in their day. If you've ever seen, uh, if you've ever been to an Orthodox Jewish home and the, uh, the, or a Jewish home that has a, a box on the doorpost, inside that box is those two verses from Deuteronomy. Those are called mezuzahs that are on the doorpost there. And then sometimes you'll see, even see people wearing boxes on their head, strapped to their head. Inside those boxes is this, the Shema, that says, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So before anything else, before anything else, there's this idea of who God is. Before the commands come, before anything else comes, there's this idea of who God is. This idea that He is one is saying that He is exclusively worthy of all of our worship and all of our love, all of our devotion, all of our commitment, everything that we have. He is the one God. He is the one God. And the commands themselves reveal to us and show us something about the character of God. If you've ever thought about why, why is it to love? And that is because we're talking about the God of the gospel, the God of the gospel. That is the God that we're talking about. The God that in the beginning created everything and said that it was good and created man and woman and said that it is very good. And then when man fell, God in his grace and his loving kindness, he promised and said that I will send one that will redeem and restore and remedy the problem that you've just gotten yourself in. And then through Abraham that we went through in the fall, and last year y'all went through with Pastor David, then Abraham, God promises to him, he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will bless the nations through you. And then in God's kindness, in God's kindness, he rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt. He rescues the people out of Egypt because of his loving kindness. And then it all culminates and climaxes in Jesus. 
The one that says the most famous verse, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was the ultimate expression and demonstration of God's love to us. This is the God of the Gospel, this loving God who has shown us His love in Christ, who has taken care of our problems in Christ who has taken care of our sin debt, taken care of everything, every problem we've had, He's taken care of it in the person, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. This is the one that it says in Romans 5.8. It says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the God we should keep our focus on. The God who who has loved His enemies, the God who has demonstrated His love to us in Christ. Because if we get this wrong, it'll have an effect on our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Because, see, religion says that I obey God in order to be accepted. But the Gospel says I am accepted by God and loved by God and therefore I obey. If we think that we've earned God's love, if we think that we have earned God's love, then we're doing at least two things. We will think that we're, we're basically rejecting God's love because we're making ourselves out to be our own Savior. We're saying that it's out of our own moral effort, out of something that we have done to achieve God's love, rather than it's that God loves us unconditionally. He has demonstrated that to us in taking care of us in Christ Jesus. So we, we're, in a sense, rejecting God's love when we, when we forget about the God of the gospel, that God is a God of love. But also, it'll affect the way that we interact with other people, the way we serve and, and try to love other people, because if we think that it is out of our own moral effort that we have earned God's love, we have done something so special to earn God's love, then we'll have a temptation to, maybe a tendency to, and maybe actually begin to look down on others who are not as moral as we are. And we will get into trouble in the way we try to love people, the way we try to interact with people and serve people, because we are, we'll be looking down on them. We'll think we're inferior to them. And so we need to remember and keep our focus on the love of God. We need to keep our focus on who God is, this God of the Gospel who is a God of love, who is a God of redeeming love, the God who has demonstrated this love for us in Christ and loves us unconditionally and accepts us in Christ and only asks us to repent and trust in Christ and that we're not saved on anything of ourselves. This is God as a loving Father. The Father. He, becomes, he is our Father in Christ Jesus. I was um, raised by a very, very good Father a very, very good earthly father who's actually here today. And he self-sacrificially gave for me. He loved me. He worked 50 hours a week in, his, in the mechanic shop to take care of me, to raise me. He loved me. He never gave up on me when I was, when I was wild and crazy. He loved me unconditionally. He disciplined me. He saw me through a lot. And then I began to understand this heavenly, this fatherly love when Darla and I found out uh, we were having our first son, Owen, and we had him, I got kind of a, a different, you know, a, a more of a glimpse of 
of what this fatherly love is, is about, this, this gospel type of love is about. Because I, I want to show everybody pictures of my son. I mean, I was at the nursing home Wednesday night, and I found myself just showing pictures of my son to everybody. It was just a thing to do because I just love him and wanted them to know that I have a son. I want to care for him. I pray for him. I want the best for him. I love him unconditionally. I will love him unconditionally. And then Darla and I found out we were having our second son, who was born uh, two and a half weeks ago, named Knox, and I started to wonder, uh, kind of this question, if any of you are parents, maybe I was wrong in wondering this, I was like, how is it that I could love two people the way that I love Owen? And my mother-in-law reminded me, or, or kind of tried to convince me that your love is not divided when you have kids, your love only multiplies. And I, rec- I, I realized that when we had our second son, that it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, now I, I just love two of them just the same and love them so much unconditionally. And if I, as an earthly father, an earthly simple father, can love my sons in that way, how much more does, can God, as a perfectly heavenly father, loves us? That's, that's mind-boggling. And then he desires for us to love him. So we need to keep our focus on loving God with all that we are. He tells, them this sec- he tells them that this first command, he says when the teacher asks him which is the greatest, he says that it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this idea that we are to love God in this way, this love, this agape love that Pastor David mentions a lot, this agape love is this, this self, kind of self-sacrificial, committed, devoted love to that which is good and noble and right, despite necessarily of how we feel about it or what, what we think about it. It's this just committed love, this self-sacrificial love. And he says that we're to love God in this way because, and, and with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. He's not necessarily saying that these are these three separate areas that can get out of balance and so forth, or we need to kind of focus on these different areas, but it's kind of making this broader point of we're to love God with everything we are. You know, we're, we're intelligent beings, we're feeling beings, we're willing beings, we're, we're, we're very full like that, and we're to love God with everything that we are. That's what God desires. Our love for Him will be genuine, it will be committed, it will be willing, it will involve our feelings, it will involve our intellect, it will involve every aspect of who we are because God is a God of love who is fully invested in His love for us and it is only how we know how to love is because of how God loves us. And this means in our daily lives we can't necessarily compartmentalize our lives, really. God is telling us that in every aspect of our life is going to be involved in that love of God. That also means that our love of God is, and our belief in God is not just intellectual belief. It involves love. And that may sound weird from, from a guy who, who has... Uh, two master's degrees, one in theology and philosophy, and is doing a PhD in theology. I mean, I obviously like to think about stuff and read and all that. But God 
has told us in the Scriptures in James that um, you believe that God is one, well, good for you. Even the demons believe that God is one and, and shudder. So it's this idea that even the, de- the demons have this cognitive idea of who God is. They may be better theologians than a lot of theologians, maybe every theologian that lives. They, they know that God exists. They know who He is, but they don't love Him and trust Him. So our belief in God involves more than intellectual beliefs. It involves our heart, our love for God, our trust, our laying our life down. It involves also more than our emotions, though. It will involve our emotions. God is the, is the source of all of our joy and peace, and it will involve our emotions. But those are going to wax and wane. That's just how it is. But it's going to involve all of our life, everything, everything that, that we are. And so you may be so, saying to yourself, Tim, I don't, I don't live up to that. I don't live up to that kind of love. I don't live up to that kind of standard. But God has made this possible for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, by the gospel, by the spirit that lives in us now, we can love God with all that we are. Paul says in Romans, in Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And so we have the spirit that lives in us, that gives us the ability and inspires us and convicts us and transforms us into the image of Christ, into loving God in that way. One pastor says, Kent Hughes, he says that, he says that um, it doesn't take much of a man to be a believer or a woman to be a believer, but it takes all of him there is. So it's going to take all of who we are. God loves us and he desires us to love him with all, with all that we are. But this love for God is not just going to be this, whole, this kind of vertical relationship. It's going to be this horizontal relationship as well. He says that we're to keep our focus on loving our neighbor. He says about the command, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And this, this passage of the Old Testament that he's quoting is not from Deuteronomy. It's from Leviticus 19.18. And within that context of Leviticus, there's all this talk about how the Israelites were to relate to their neighbors out of their love of God. They were supposed to leave. They were supposed to leave some of their harvest there for the poor and those that couldn't afford and couldn't afford to have their own food. They were to leave some of the harvest there for the poor and them and the widows to come and get some food for themselves. He says that they're, they're not to do unjustly in courts. They're not to rob through wages. They're not to hate or bear grudges against their neighbor, but they're to love their neighbor. In Israel themselves... We're called to be a blessing to the nations. I was reading uh, Genesis uh, 13 this morning when God speaks to Abraham and says that I will bless the nations through you. 
He does that fundamentally and primarily through the seed that comes through him, Christ Jesus. But also, we're called, we're blessed by God, and we're provided for by God in order to be a blessing to others and be a blessing to our neighbors. Paul picks up on this idea that this this law, this command that he's quoting from Leviticus, in a sense is fundamental and sums up the second half of the Ten Commandments, per se. He says in Romans 13, he says, "Do Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, whatever other command are all summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So it's kind of fundamental. That's what he's saying. When it ha- all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, this, this, this command to love your neighbor as yourself sums up all these commands, all this talk in the Old Testament about how Israel was to connect and communicate and relate to their neighbors as they were to take care of the sojourners in their land, the non-Israelites in their land. They were called to take care of the widows in their midst who couldn't provide for themselves. They were called to take care of the orphans in their midst who don't have a father, who don't have a mother to take care of them. And he says that it's like unto the first. What does he mean by it's like unto the first? I think what he means is that they aren't identical. Our loving our neighbor is not identical with our loving God. But they're so intricately bound together that our love for our neighbor will be a visual, a visible expression of our love for God. I think that's what he's, what he's getting on to here. But what is this love? Have you ever thought to yourself what it means to love your neighbor, that's, and in this part, as yourself? You see, the psych- psychologists, or not psychologists, but it's to psychologize the text, I think, to, to have the idea that Jesus has kind of given us a chance here to, we need to love ourselves. We need to learn how to love ourselves rightly first, and then we can love our neighbor. But I don't think that's what he's saying. He says that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, as we already do love ourselves. He seems to be saying that he, he assumes that we already, we already love ourselves. In Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, Paul picks up on this. And the way that husbands were to relate to their wives, and the way that your wife is, is, is like yourself, and your wife is like your own body, he says in verse 28 of chapter uh, 5 of Ephesians, Paul says, In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. So love here means providing and caring for. Love here means providing and caring for. And so if I'm honest, I desire for my hunger pains to be relieved. I I desire to care and provide for myself every day. My whole day is structured around that. 
I desire for my kids not to go to bed hungry. When little baby Knox cries, I desire for his, because he's hungry, I desire for his belly to be full. I desire for them to turn out all right. I desire and want to provide for myself in such a way that, and care for myself in such a way that I want to make a little bit of difference in this world for Christ. And so in the same way that we take care and provide for ourselves in the way I take care and provide for my wife like she's my own body, we are to love others in that way as well. Those in our midst, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, people in our city, we're to love them in that way too. Just like you and I desire our bellies to be full, we should desire our neighbor's belly to be full as well and ask God for wisdom and how and how to do that. And also, in, it needs to be understood in the context of the first command. In the way that I love God or seek to love God with all that I am, how can I bend and orient my life in such a way that we can see our neighbor come to love the Lord God with all that they are and trust Christ? And, and how can I bend and orient my life and structure my life in such a way and make decisions in my life in such a way that my neighbor can grow in their relationship with God? And then on the practical level, like I said, it's also caring and providing very practically too, like we do through Care Effect while we serve there and while we, we seek to, to serve there and, and feed and, and see the homeless fed and see them taken care of because it's, it's what we would want done unto us like it was our own body. As one pastor says, and this is the way he phrases some of this, he says, if you want to enjoy more of God's compassion through the consolation he gives you in your sorrow, so you care enough about yourself that when you're sorrowful, you seek God, you want God to, to calm your heart, to give you peace, to give you joy, then others desire that too. So then seek to show others more of God's compassion through the consolations you extend to them in their sorrow. This is very practical. If you delight in seeing God's goodness in relaxed times of leisure, which is that time of year we like to find times to, to, to have leisure and relaxation and vacation, then extend that same goodness to others by helping them have relaxed, healthy times of leisure. If you want to see more of God's saving grace powerfully manifested in your life, then stretch out that grace into the lives of others who need that saving grace as well. And you may be saying to yourself, and I have these thoughts pop in, you say, well, my neighbor doesn't really deserve my love. They just need to kind of, kind of suck it up and, and take care of themselves and do their thing. But that's not the gospel. When we were powerless to take care of our own problem, God took care of our, our problem for us. He loved us in that way. And Jesus also tells us and kind of hits us between the eye and says that in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you've heard that it was said that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you that you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So our neighbor 
is not necessarily going to be those people that we want them to be. Our neighbor and those that we're being called to love as ourselves are going to be those that we don't really want them to be. That was the point of Jesus's, uh, I think, uh, his his parable of the Good Samaritan, when when he tells he tells this expert in the law that uh, he's to love the Lord God with all his mind, body, and soul, love God and love neighbor. And the expert in the law asks, "Well, who's my neighbor?" And then Jesus, and that's a good question. We all have that question. Well, who is my neighbor? Are you talking about my physical neighbor right next to me? Who are you talking about? And Jesus tells this story to this, to this expert in the law who asked that question in order to get him to see that the Samaritan, the people that that expert in the law would have, would have been racist against, would have went out of his way to avoid, that was his neighbor that he was being called to love. Just as the Samaritan was a neighbor to the man who was beaten on the street, so that man was to be a neighbor to the Samaritan as well. And that's who we're being called to love as ourself. It's not, it's not necessarily the difficult boss or something like that. It can be. It can be the difficult boss. But it, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was walking out of Winn-Dixie. It's, it can be people that you just naturally, kind of unconsciously, go out of your way to avoid. Whoever those people are, in, your, in the city, in the society, in your life, those are going to be the people that God is calling us to love as we love ourselves. And this reminded me of a missionary named John Patton who went as a missionary to the New Hebrides people. And this is in the 1800s. And the first missionaries that went to these people were eaten by them as soon as they landed on the shore. They were cannibals. And when John Patton, he said, John Patton said, I want to go to those people. I want to go to those people and share the gospel with them and and love them as I love myself and and see what I can do to take care of them practically and serve them practically and love them practically and share the gospel with them. And somebody stood up in the meeting and said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. And John Patton replied, he said, this is kind of funny, He said, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. And it was this, this, this keeping his focus on who God is, the God of the gospel, the one who, who loves his enemies and, and gave his life through Christ for his enemies. It was keeping his focus on loving God and realizing I'm going to have to love God with everything I am in a sense of I'm going to just have to surrender my life to him and his will for my life and what he's calling me to do. And it's calling me to go love, love these people to love these people. And for us today, you're like, Tim, I don't, I don't know about going to be a missionary, that sort of thing. But our love for neighbor will begin in our, in our homes. Whether, whether we're married or we're not, it's going to begin around who those people that we're around all the time. 
as Pastor David reminded us, especially about marriage, a couple weeks ago, and I heard it again after that by someone else, our homes and, our, and, our, and marriage is the hardest place for us to live out the faith. We're to, 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 to love our neighbors, ourselves there. We're around these people all the time, our wives, our husbands, and I know that we can be kind of hard to love sometimes. And, uh, but it's right there in the midst of that daily, every day, that we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, our wives, to love our wives, husbands, love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her in a sacrificial way, laying down his own prerogatives, laying down everything he has to provide for her, to see her washed in the water of the word, to see her grow in Christ. And then also in our, in our workplace, among our kids, just all of these areas, that's where it's going to start. If we, can't, if we can't figure out how to love our neighbors right there in our house, our roommates, our wives, our husbands, our children, to love those in our workplace, our co-workers, our boss, our difficult boss, those people we're stuck with every day. It's going to be hard to go out here to, to Gentilly Lowe's or some, something like that and love someone that, that, you've, that we've you know, gone out of our way to avoid most of the week and that we may not feel that comfortable around. So let us try to learn how to love in our homes, to love our neighbors there, and to love in the way that John, John Patton loved. And remember this week, church, that when we're busy, we're getting pulled in all these different directions. Um, you know, our kids are pulling at us, work is pulling at us, friends are pulling at us, different responsibilities are pulling at us. As we're trying to guard our, and protect our community presence as we're living our life out, just keep your focus on who God is, that He's the God of the Gospel. He's the God of love. Keep your focus on loving God with everything you are, your mind, your heart, your strength, everything that you are, and keep your focus on loving your neighbor as yourself. So you may be wondering right now, especially students that are just graduating high school or that sort of thing, what's God's will for your life? This is, that's God's will for your life. It's not mysterious. That's God's will for our lives. It's to love God and to love our neighbor. And at the end of all this discussion, Jesus turns, turns the table towards, towards the people and he begins to question them about who the Christ is. He asked them who the Christ is. And today, that's my question for some of you here today, that you may be, know you're far from God through this. You realize, Tim, I've never heard that. I've never, I've never really heard that God loves me in that way. But this morning is the morning for you to come, come down. We'll have prayer counselors around here and, and trust Christ and experience the love of God there. And Jesus is asking you too, who, who do you say that I am? Who, who is the Christ? So would you all pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your love. Lord, how you have revealed yourself to us in your scriptures. How sometimes when we're so distracted and pulled in so many different directions, we can kind of get our focus on things that aren't that important. Lord, but you've so graciously 
reminded us of who you are. You've revealed about who you are. You've demonstrated this love for us in Christ. You've clearly revealed that to us in your scriptures. And Lord, when we're all kind of bent out of shape and trying to figure out which way to go, what we're supposed to do, should I go here, should I move there, should I take this job, should I do this, should I do that? You say, Tim, you say, just love me. Love me with all that you are. Make sure you have that right, Tim. Just surrender your life to me. And when I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to relate to my wife and to other people and my children and my co-workers and my teachers, you're just so clear, Lord, that we're to love our neighbors ourselves. Please teach us more and more, Father. Please give us wisdom on how to love our neighbor as ourselves. That can seem so burdensome to us, Lord, as we picture people in our mind that we we don't really want to go up to, we don't really want to share with, uh, we don't really want to be burdened and inconvenienced by their lives. Please inspire us, Father, by your Spirit. Give us just strength and wisdom. Give us calmness. Give us the ability to love, love them as you love them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.